0: This program features interviews with respected healthcare industry experts on current topics of substantial national importance. Your host for the program is David Intricasso, a D.C.-based healthcare policy analyst and researcher. We invite you to comment on the program by visiting thehealthcarepolicypodcast.com. Now, here's David. Welcome to the Healthcare Policy Podcast. I'm the host, David Intricasso. During this podcast, I'll discuss with Duke University Professor of Psychiatry Emeritus, Dr. Dan Blazer, the National Academy of Sciences' recently published consensus report, Social Isolation and Loneliness in Older Adults, Opportunities for the Health Care System. Dr. Blazer served as the Report Committee Chair. Dr. Blazer, welcome to the program.
1: It's good to be here.
0: Dr. Blazer's bio is, of course, posted on the podcast website. On background, increasing social isolation and loneliness has been recognized for several decades. For example, Harvard's Robert Putnam's 1990s research summarized in his 2000 book, Bowling Alone, found a reduction over several decades in all forms of in-person social intercourse. More recently, the Pope has over the past several years repeatedly discussed radical loneliness caused by, he argues, a consumer culture that subverts relationships. It's been observed we traded friendships for larger homes. The Pope's interpretation is reinforced by researchers concluding social media has made us, paradoxically, unsocial. According to Gallup uh, polling, the average number of close friends Americans say they have has dropped over the past two decades from 10 to 2. In Japan, loneliness deaths among the elderly have been given a name, kodukushi, because of the correlation between social contact and health. In January 2018, U.K. Prime Minister Theresa May created a new cabinet position titled Minister of Loneliness. One year prior, or in 2017, U.S. Surgeon General Vivek Murthy called loneliness, quote-unquote, a growing health epidemic. In a Harvard Business Review article, he cited a study that concluded social isolation is, quote-unquote, associated with reduction in lifespan similar to that caused by smoking 15 cigarettes a day. Again, with me discuss the National Academy's recent report, Social Isolation and Loneliness in Older Adults, is Dr. Dan Blazer. So with that as a background introduction, uh, Dr. Blazer, um, let's begin with um, asking you, can you define uh, social isolation and loneliness? Because I understand uh, they're not the same.
1: They are not the same. And we actually came up with four... Uh, categories which actually include social isolation and loneliness, but I think they may actually help make more sense of the of the larger picture. I think the umbrella term that we used in our report was social connections, and this is the extent to which an individual is socially connected, and it depends on multiple factors: connections to others uh, through their relationships, the sense of connection that is perceptions of whether they are connected or not and a sense of connection to others based on positive and negative qualities. So you may be connected, but that connection may not be a positive one. Under that, we looked at three different categories. One was structural, and this is the existence of interconnections among different social relationships and roles. And I think you can imagine what they may be, but let me just go through some of those. Mm -hmm. Marital status, social networks. Social integration, living alone, social isolation. This would actually get into the uh, point that you made previously, which is how many people would, how many people would you describe as being your close friends or who you're close to, and how much that's decreased over the recently. So that would be structural. That would actually be what we talk about as is social isolation. In other words, some people may have two connections with other people, and that may be they may see that as being sufficient. They would not describe themselves as lonely. The second category we came up with is functional, and functional provided by this is actually the functions that are provided by the social networks in which individuals find themselves. This is received support. Uh, it may be physical in terms of helping individuals out with certain things. It may be a phone call to cheer someone up, etc. And then there are perceptions of social support. How much uh, do you feel like you're connected? Uh, in other words, people may actually have people all around them, but they feel lonely. And the third is perceived loneliness. And that gets into the same category, which is uh, regardless of what's going on around, regardless of how many people you have interacting with you, you still may feel lonely. And finally, it's the quality of the support that individuals feel, uh, the positive and negative aspects of social relationships. This could be like marital quality. And one thing, actually, with the current uh, COVID-19 virus that is coming up, is we're seeing a few articles creep up, and I suspect we'll see more of these, suggesting that the fact that couples, married couples, uh, and people living together, roommates living together, Um, are actually not able to get away as much as they normally would, don't have as many contacts as they normally did. And that actually could place strain on those relationships, in addition to the fact that you may have someone living with you, and that may be a great support to you. Uh, So there's a relationship strain that has to be considered in that. And then social inclusion and exclusion. This is a little bit more difficult with social Uh, media kind of being the main way we're communicating with one another at the present time. But, for example, uh, people calling one another, uh, but then finding out that they are uh, excluded from those uh, calls that they find out about later. I think probably the best example of that is individuals who are on Facebook, and these individuals have, you know, hundreds of friends, and yet uh, they find out that they either have been defriended, or they just are not included or responded to when they make a post or something like that. So there are many ways in our society today that people feel that the quality of their relationships are decreasing or virtually absent. So those are the ways we looked at it. So social isolation being just who is in your network, social uh, loneliness being sort of how you see that network uh, fulfilling your needs.
0: Okay, thank you. So it is true that you can be uh, alone, but not lonely.
1: Absolutely, yes.
0: I will say, I did read in Lancet that these definitions get tricky. There's um, uh, considered to be no unified definition for some of these terms, so we could spend a good deal of time on on how we understand these. Let me go to uh, the important issue or the impetus for this is that, um, however we term this, uh, there are uh, related... Uh, health effects or associated health effects, and these are varied and, be, and can be quite significant. So I'm curious if you could give us an overview of what those adverse health effects or how uh, uh, this can contribute to adverse health.
1: There's actually a, a, a quite a, a long literature, long in terms of years, that have pointed out specifically that social isolation is an adverse effect upon your health. Uh, The evidence for loneliness uh, has been a little bit more recent, but it seems to be trending in the very same direction. Um, The quote that you mentioned initially in your statement suggesting that individuals who are um, isolated may be at increased risk of uh, mortality, for example, at perhaps the same level of individuals who are smoking 15 cigarettes Mm -hmm. a day. Uh, We tried to stay away from that type of uh, comparison, but on the other hand, uh, the numbers look very similar, so I would put that out. Some of the conditions that uh, have been related to social isolation and loneliness uh, include some of the big ones that you might imagine. Um, They include uh, cardiovascular disease. They include uh, dementia. They include psychiatric disorders such as depression and anxiety, Um, and there's a a much longer list including other things uh, as well, but those are the ones we primarily focused on in our report. But perhaps the biggest and most important figure that we can keep in mind is just that overall mortality, even in very well-controlled studies, uh, has shown to be increased pretty significantly. And as I said, this literature is not new. Uh, it goes back a long time, uh, and uh, I, uh, I even published a study that found some of these findings back in 1982, so it gives you an idea of how long hmm. this goes back. But there are countless other studies. that were studies published prior to that. Uh, Lisa Berkman and Leonard Sine published a study, I think, in the late 70s, who first sort of brought attention to this. So the idea that uh, that difficulties with one social network – uh, that uh, their social determinants of health and outcomes is not a new one. It's a strong one. It's unfortunately one that often gets overlooked by the healthcare professions.
0: And we'll get to uh, what healthcare is doing or not. But before we do, I, it's, it, it's not immediately, although I, I got it after I read further through the volume, um, it's not immediately clear why it contributes to dementia. And uh, also, I'll note, although it became quickly apparent to me why, but you also mentioned loss of hearing can contribute to both isolation and, and isolation then leading to uh, adverse health effects. So how did dementia and loss of hearing play into this?
1: Well, loss of hearing is pretty obvious, and uh, I'll do, deal with that one first, and that is if you or in a crowd, or in a group of people, and you can't hear, mm-hmm. uh, then you can't contribute to the conversations. And that automatically, I think, leads one to feel more isolated. And those individuals, in turn, often will just avoid groups in which uh, they might otherwise be uh mm-hmm. Able to be included, so that one is pretty self-evident. And the nice thing about that is that there are interventions which actually can improve one's hearing, which in turn may improve that ability, that a person's ability uh, to participate in uh, social gatherings, uh, to participate more actively in conversations, mm-hmm. etc. Dementia, I think there may be a, a sort of a direct and an indirect uh, pathway. This is we're still looking at this. Uh, We don't have all the answers, but uh, on the direct side, there is evidence that uh, individuals who report that they're lonely have actual brain changes. Uh, There's some evidence of neurodegeneration in these individuals. So uh, that's just, we're just beginning to do the kind of correlations on that so we don't have a direct pathway that we can identify, but I think we need to recognize that Uh, we may actually be seeing clear mechanisms in the future uh, related to dementia being an outcome of uh, social isolation and loneliness. The indirect way in which it affects it is quite obvious. If a person is uh, demented, they again may be having difficulty in interacting with people. In other words, their uh, answers to questions may be... um, uh, less cog- co- coherent to mm-hmm. others, and that in turn, uh, individuals will tend to neglect them or avoid them in conversation because those conversations can become extremely difficult. So they may just simply say, I, you know, uh, I, I don't want to go to church. I don't want to go to synagogue. Uh, I don't want to go to my club because I can't hear what's going on. I can't really talk about what's happening. And therefore, they'll tend to isolate themselves, and in turn, they feel lonely. So, those would be some of the mechanisms by which those two. Uh, get so, anyway, I think that the evidence on dementia is pretty strong. We need much more, but it, it's pretty strong at the present time. And I think the mechanisms could be both direct and indirect.
0: Okay, thank you again. Let's go. Let's go to healthcare delivery. Um, I'll phrase this question as: What's the current state of play? Uh, real, and this is mostly, I realize, of course, in the primary care practice setting, but what's the state of play relative to uh, this issue being uh, discussed to the extent uh, physicians are screening for this uh, problem or to what extent is are is health care providers in the practice setting uh, getting at this?
1: Well, uh, the, I think the answer to that is not enough, but I think we need to begin the statement by saying primary care physicians, actually all doctors, but primary care physicians especially, uh, are under tremendous pressure to do a lot in a very short period of time. Uh, We avoided the use of the word screening because this is not part of the uh, preventive task force recommendations in terms of what types of things we should screen for because we don't have any extremely clear outline in terms of how the healthcare profession itself can do something in order to reverse the problem. Nevertheless, we've, we've strongly recommended that despite the time constraints, uh, the role of the healthcare care profession, and this is writ wide, we're not talking about just doctors and nurses, we're talking about social workers, we're talking about direct care workers, we're talking about uh, individuals even at, uh, when individuals register. Uh, really need to be involved in trying to identify individuals who are at risk for being socially isolated or lonely. So I think the first step is assessing, and that's the term we tend to use in the report, is trying to find a way to assess. There's some fairly short uh, assessment tools, uh, Mm -hmm. the UCLA Loneliness Scale being an example of one that uh, for loneliness, and then the Berkman Sign, but we actually think the Berkman Sign, scale is probably somewhat dated uh, and we really need to uh, there needs to be an upgrade in terms of uh, screening insurance. But you could ask a limited number of questions and you could assess both loneliness and social isolation. we feel like these need to be part of the electronic health record. And so we one of the things we recommended strongly was that this be included in the healthcare records and then individuals who report, that they have social isolation and loneliness would, in turn, be individuals who would um, be targeted uh, by the healthcare professionals who they see uh, in terms of maybe referrals uh, to groups or individuals or programs, which might be, uh, and they don't necessarily have to be, and probably many of them will not be part directly of the healthcare system, but at least it's it's a referral portal for individuals to get in touch and, and, and people being made aware of this is also something I think that uh, healthcare care professionals need to track over time. It's not a one-time question. Somebody may, be, mm-hmm. uh, may describe themselves as being socially isolated uh, because family is away uh, on a vacation uh, when you see them and they're very lonely uh, regarding that. And then two weeks later, when the family returns, that all turns around. So this needs to be looked at over time. One thing that we emphasize throughout the report that I think is extremely important is to recognize that even though the healthcare profession may not be the primary place, and we sponsored this particular report was focused specifically on the elderly. Though the the healthcare profession may not be the primary deliverer of services or enabling methods of enabling individuals to feel less lonely and less socially isolated, we often might are the first to recognize this. And so if people are not going anywhere else, they're going to their doctors. Uh, they're going to see their nurses uh, to be checked up for maybe various chronic diseases. And therefore, health care professionals are really first line in terms of uh, identifying this problem and hopefully referring out to agencies and programs and individuals, maybe alerting families about the uh, report of social isolation and loneliness.
0: So you would agree, per your uh, opening comment here, tremendous pressure, that uh, under the current model in which we deliver care, which is extremely time-sensitive, you know the phrase now is we're over time uh, moving more towards retail medicine where it's transactional or compromising the therapeutic relationship between patient and physician that the model generally practice is not helpful in this instance. Would you not agree?
1: Yes, absolutely.
0: okay, all right, thank you. Um, let, let me go to um, and and I appreciate your mentioning recommendations because obviously the the primary goal here, uh then uh state of the science of course was to make recommendations education recommendations etc um let me let me go to um some side or related questions we mentioned the current uh, covid-19 pandemic you know as much discussion in the last couple of days relative to whether the cure here social isolation may be as bad or worse than disease um but obviously your report is uh coincidentally well timed relative to uh, the, this public health emergency, uh, do you see uh, any sort of longer-term problems, even if, this, um, if we practice isolation for a couple of months? Um, this certainly has to exacerbate the already existing problem of isolation we have uh, in our society, correct?
1: I think yes with a caveat. And the caveat is uh, I'm seeing... I'm actually seeing this personally. I'm 76 years old, and so uh, I'm kind of in that high-risk category. Uh, But I'm seeing, and I think other people are reporting the fact that um, people are making an effort to reach out in ways that they haven't in a long time. We have neighbors who are reaching out to us. We have friends who are reaching out to us, uh, just checking how you're doing, et cetera. I've actually been spending quite a bit of time just emailing good friends. Uh, and just asking, how are you doing, et cetera. So I think that, uh, on balance, uh, this COVID um, uh, pandemic has been very negative. It's it's isolating people in their homes, et cetera. Uh, It's limiting them. Uh, And so I'm very, very concerned about that, the point at which we actually uh, relieve that I think really needs to be a public health issue. Uh, and it does not need to be just based on what individuals feel. Uh, we really need to, to have some good evidence. We've got excellent epidemiologists and we've got excellent infectious disease people who can provide us some guidance there. But there is no question that the longer we go with the very st- stringent restrictions that we have, which may even become greater, um, that we have to look at it. This epidemic is only getting greater at the present mm-hmm. time. Um But I think that, um, you know, people are finding ways around this. I just was uh, on uh, a Zoom call, and uh, we talked, and that actually worked very well. I was on a Zoom call at our religious group on Sunday, and that worked very well. And so I think people are finding, and and thankfully we have the social media that can sort of help us around this. People are finding ways to interact and talk with one another, uh, spend time with one another, Uh, And using those resources better than they have before and spending more time using them. And so, as I said, I see a small silver lining in this. My hope is is that when we get through this uh, pandemic and we get back to sort of a more normal state, that people don't forget How they felt lonely, that people don't forget how they reached out to other people. They don't forget how other people reached out to them. They don't forget the importance of the person to person interactions which they have. I think it's also important to recognize that, you know, the social media uh, advantages that we have today through, and we could go through a long list of these, uh, are, um, you know, are, are really. Boost to our ability to keep in touch with one another, but there's nothing that replaces person-to-person contact. And so, my hope is is that our, we as a society are beginning to learn a lesson, and that is we are too isolated from one another, and that leads to loneliness. Just as you have recognized, mm-hmm. I think the figures we give in our report—I uh, mean, I can just go right back to those just for a moment—is that. 25 percent of individuals uh, uh say that they are uh of 65 and older say that they are socially isolated and a far higher percentage uh 43 uh, percent of people 40 60 and older say that they're lonely and so it, this is a big problem and uh, I think we as a society maybe need to take this on. This is not just a medical issue. It's a societal issue. And uh, Robert Putman recognized this, uh, you know, decades ago when he published Bowling Alone. Mm-hmm. And um, maybe this is a wake-up call that, we, you know, not only do we need to recognize this and report it on questionnaires, but we need to do something about it. And it starts with us.
0: Right, maybe the pandemic is silver lining here, is opportunity for new habits.
1: Absolutely. Yes. Okay. I cannot agree more. Yes.
0: So, um, the uh, chapter nine uh, yes. is a discussion of uh, programming to address this. Uh, there's a fairly uh, lengthy list of uh, generic programs, tai chi, uh, etc. Some uh, therapeutic uh, CBT and then uh, organizations Centene, care more health united health kaiser humana oregon health aging summit and others uh, about a dozen i think you run through in what is a somewhat lengthy chapter what yes. what are some of the i uh, feel free to name any of these but what are some of the common elements of these programs particularly those programs that with these common elements that are proving to be effective or successful
1: well there's an unfortunate common element across virtually all of them, and then I'll get to sort of what I think some of the common elements are that I think are more beneficial. The unfortunate element is we have virtually no evidence base of what programs are the most effective. And what If you were to recommend something for an individual, what is it that you would recommend for them? Uh, and the, the evidence there is very limited. These studies, to try to identify what would work, uh, like a control study, we don't have, mm-hmm. and for the most part, uh, there's some small studies that have been done, but but not not nearly as much as we need. And so we, I think, we need to recognize that funding. We make this point in the report that um, we are we need to do better in terms of identifying um, what it is that uh, actually works, rather than putting tremendous amounts of effort into programs that actually are not that effective. But in terms of the types of things that do work, I think that you know there are there are person-to-person contacts that I think uh, can work very well. Uh, phone calls, uh, maybe going knocking at the door. As long as this that pandemic is going along, you can stand at six feet and you can talk to somebody mm-hmm. for a while. And that can those types of things can be, uh, I think, potentially very beneficial. Uh, in addition, I think that there there has been some evidence. Uh, that uh, getting older people and we did, again, focused on older persons, getting older persons involved in joint projects. Uh, There was a project in Baltimore uh, which uh, looked at um, getting older persons involved in tutoring uh, young students in the grammar schools, elementary schools, and uh, it did a couple of things. Number one, it it actually was... beneficial in terms of helping people uh, in those situations. But in addition to that, it was beneficial in the sense that it um, uh, got these older persons interacting with one another and they described themselves as being more connected with others and not as socially isolated. So I think that not just interaction for interaction's sake alone, perhaps interaction for some purpose might be one of the real ways. Many older persons are looking for something where they can contribute back to society. Finding ways that they can do that could be very effective.
0: Okay, thank you. There are some um, relative to evidence. There does seem to be some suggestion that some of this can prove uh, counterproductive, particularly in the application and use of technology. There's some yeah. discussion in the report about use of robots, Uh that suggests it might lead to further isolation. Uh, and then there's a the concern about treating adults uh, through these tools and techniques in, a, in the phrase childlike manner. Uh, what are some of your concerns about uh, some of the potential adverse or downsides? Well,
1: first off, I think that we don't know uh, as yet what the relative benefits versus harms might be with using, like, uh, robotic uh, uh, pets. Uh, or, for example, using uh, voice recognition and uh, communication techniques in the house, things like Alexa.
0: Mm-hmm. I don't
1: necessarily mean to mention a, a brand name, but um, that type of that type of uh, procedure, we don't we don't know what the outcomes of those will be. I think my fear would be that people begin to rely on these artificial. They are are artificial, though the techniques are improving dramatically. Um, Animate projects, uh, which um, in turn lead people to think that these are real. And uh, that takes us down a path that I don't think any of us really want to go down. We had on our committee an individual who was really an expert in this area, and he was very cautious in terms of recommending uh that we go full bore into the uh, technologies beyond you know person-to-person communication uh thinking that that could be an easy substitution for them Mm -hmm. it it, on one hand it it seems like an easy way to to deal with things but i think uh, on the other i think it is that there's some there's some real ethical issues in terms of uh you know i can just see a family for example um Ah, uh, getting a robotic dog and and giving it to a parent, and then thinking that solves the problem and leaving and not interacting right. with with the parent as much, and that can be a real problematic
0: substitute, right? Uh, and la- my last question, um, so my understanding is this was largely funded by the AARP, which explains yeah. why the emphasis is on uh, adult or senior population. I uh, so mentioned my, this is
1: a. Well, mentioned AARP Foundation.
0: Correct. Correct. Excuse uh, me.
1: Not not just AARP, think, okay. right?
0: <laughs> correct. Um, so the question always here is, what um, other than producing the report? Uh, what's your understanding of how uh, this will be used, and try to uh, move the um, and improve uh, healthcare delivery in this regard?
1: Well, AARP has a number of projects right now, and the, and the foundation is is supporting a number of projects to try to deal with this problem of loneliness overall. Our goal was to uh, try to identify what the overall problem was and specifically focusing on the health outcomes. And then the goal was to find ways in which the healthcare profession, as I mentioned before, writ wide, uh, could intervene in ways that could alleviate this overall problem of social isolation and loneliness, focused specifically on the elderly. So this is a part, I think, of a larger project. I think it's a central part of it, but it is a part nevertheless. And so we need to keep that in mind uh, as we go forward. Now, I think I, we're seeing people come out of the woodwork uh, right now in terms of studies and commentaries, et cetera, on loneliness, social isolation, and that's all to the good. Uh, I think we have to be careful uh, with these, and I've seen some of these that I actually do have some concerns about because... What we might be seeing are opinions and uh, a lot of rah-rah about the Mm -hmm. importance of this without a lot of evidence. And so one thing about National Academy studies is that they are evidence-based. We did not wander beyond the evidence as much as we possibly could do. So I think we really need to be aggressive, but we also need to be cautious about the types of things we were recommending.
0: Right. It wasn't lost on me the phrase evidence-based used repeatedly as is typical for these NAS documents. So with that, uh, Dr. Blazer, I want to thank you for um, this conversation. I'm feeling less lonely during the pandemic, so I appreciate the opportunity to discuss uh, this subject um, and I hope um, this does uh, produce a positive effect in how we uh, deliver care. So thank you again.
1: Well, you're welcome, and thank you for taking on this topic.
0: You have just heard another edition of the Healthcare Policy Podcast, hosted by David Intricasso. To comment on this program or others, to see information about upcoming interviews, to suggest a program topic, or to hear an archived program, please visit our website, thehealthcarepolicypodcast.com. Thank you for listening, and please listen again soon.